Studio. We are currently in Minnetonka, Minnesota, doing the holiday traveling as well as many other people in the United States are doing. And we're currently in the Turkey Coma State. Yes, very much so. <laughs> but uh, we have a wonderful interview with the great dancer that we recorded a couple of a uh, month or two or three ago. We actually played one interview with him, but we just kept talking and talking. We talked about all kinds of his views on leather leather history, uh, being, a, being a great dancer in general, and uh, I'm sure I had some things in there that I wanted to edit out that I never got around to doing. That tends to happen quite a bit recently. Yes, so uh, we'll, let's, let's just, uh, that's what we'll be playing for you this week, no, um, and that's it. So I think we're going to go hit the uh, turkey coma jet lag king size bid. Exactly. <laughs> So, Don, here we are sitting in the Upper Sector 2 studio, <laughs> which we will call the, uh, the room, which is much more likely known for those who live locally. And we have the, the grandfather of all kink podcasters on the old <laughs> Skype. And I am referring to not his, uh, well, to his age, to be honest. Uh, we I, have I am grandfather. That works. Uh, Papa Grey Dancer, also known as Grey Dancer, is on with us on Skype. Hi, Grey Dancer. How are you this fine day? I'm fine. What, what is this strange device in front of me? Where does the wax cylinder turn? I don't quite see that. As people who have listened to the Erotic Awakening podcast before have heard, I've blamed Great Answer a few times for the uh, birth of our podcast. And in case you don't remember Great Answer, it comes from a event in Columbus, Ohio. It was probably Cope, might have been Winter Wickedness where we were selling some sacred sexuality blankets and you stuck a microphone in my face and said, tell me more. Yes, I did. I remember that. And we have not stopped talking since then. And you've done very well, I have to say. I, I've been very impressed and proud. I, I also can take credit for inspiring the uh, Poly, Poly Weekly podcast. Oh, fantastic. So, um, you know, regardless of how well my podcast does, because both of you have totally overtaken my audience, I don't care. <laughs> I still take credit. And, and yeah, we are still going... Uh, I even have you know sponsors now. The the um, Devil's Mask Society sponsors the Rope Cast, and uh, the weird part is actually <laughs> tell all your listeners there are new episodes up. <laughs> Woohoo! I, I keep running into people that say, "Oh yeah, I used to listen to the Rope Cast. I loved all your old episodes." And I'm like, "Have you listened to the last one?" They're like, "Oh, you have new ones?" Like, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I do. Um, but but the, yeah, the, the funny thing is. After all this this wonderful praise you've given us, the, the first thing you wanted to talk about was why we got cigar play wrong. Mm, well, you know, that's part of the joy of podcast. By the way, I'm occasionally <laughs> going to be drinking my fine whiskey here, um, which is a requirement of uh, ancient podcasting. Um, it wasn't <laughs> was coffee, actually. Necessarily wrong. It was just I, I needed to make an addendum because I was listening. And Ruff is a good friend of mine, and uh, he was talking all about the cigar uh, play stuff in Chicago. I'm actually going down there next weekend to teach cigar play. Um, so, you know, I'm all, I'm all for that. But then he said, uh, I think you asked him something about, you know, where can you do this kind of stuff? Absolutely. And he mentioned a place in Chicago and then he mentioned a place in Minneapolis. And I'm like, 
hey, you're skipping over a great big city in between called Madison, Wisconsin, also known as the bondage capital of the world. I was going to say, <laughs> which, I, I know it as the bondage capital of the world, but Charlie, so, does it have cigars yeah. too? Yes, actually, we have a. We, there's a nice little shop called Drakenberg's, and Drakenberg's is uh, is owned by a kink friendly guy. Uh, he actually often goes to the kink uh, events at the local um, fetish club, and uh, he not only sponsors our cigar boots and chocolate, and is happy to have us doing boot blacking and, uh, shall we say, you know, legal, you know, there's whole nibbles and beer clause, uh, you know, uh, cigar play uh, in his establishment, but he has also on occasion. Um, let us come in either you know before he opens and have actual full-fledged sexual cigar play there in his bar. So, um, nice. unless of course that's illegal in Wisconsin, in which case he never did that. Uh, <laughs> but no, actually, since it was it was a private event, um, and uh, yeah, we basically get the space. And so, you know, we uh, Naya and I taught a great cigar play class there. You know, full, full on everything goes kind of thing. And uh, they were really friendly to it. So you don't have to go all the way to Minneapolis, though Minneapolis is a lovely city. Um, but yeah, uh, Madison has its own really good um, cigar uh, community here. Okay, very cool. And, and did you say that they're also part of the the CBC? Yes, yes. It is It is the cigar business. Um, Iri A and uh, Seikatsu from FetLife um, are the two people who started it up here, this chapter. And uh, they definitely made it a cigar boots and chocolate. So I think it's an I think it says it's either cigars Madison or something like that on FetLife. Um, but yeah, we have a, we have a thriving scene. So fabulous. Uh, had to had to make that little correction because for some reason it seems to have slipped Ruff's mind. Well, I, I'm sure that uh, on an upcoming episode, then will Ruff and Murado will be back on the show with a uh, rejoiner to your rejoiner. Can, but it, it would be fun to actually go to Madison. Was it Madison where we got snowed in twice with our flights? It, <laughs> yes, it was a matter of fun. You're it, right. it would be nice to go to Madison and do something fun this time. Uh, Doesn't it's not that way right now? There's the, the, you won't get snowed in right now. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I, I can and I can. Re, I'll remind you things, fun things we did find to do in our hotel room while we were waiting for the snow to melt. Oh, that's true. We were trying to help the snow. Melt. That's besides the point. But what we actually, so what I wanted to actually talk to you about now that we've gotten the cigar part straightened out for the moment, was <laughs> I seem to recall many months ago, uh, and might have been actually years ago at this point, you left Madison, you moved on to other places, mm-hmm. and at that time, if I remember correctly, you were gifted or presented a pair of leather gloves from the local community. Uh, no, not gloves, a vest, actually. A vest, okay. I thought it was gloves for some reason. Okay, nope. good. Um, I I was actually, it was, it was amazing. It was my, it was the first presentation of, uh, you know, a official quote unquote leather vest. And, um, it was also with the first patch of the, uh, Satyricon group, um, which was an amazing honor. I, I practically bawled. I think I did ball actually. I think I cried. Um, that was the, at a mat, it was actually part of the Gru in Madison, Mm -hmm. which apparently has become known as the sad Gru because... (laughs) Where I was leaving, <laughs> I came back. So I guess now maybe it can't, doesn't have to be the sad guru anymore. But. Did Did you have to give your vest back when you came back? It wasn't oh, no. going away from. Okay, good, good. Not at all. Not at so all. we we were talking a little bit before the podcast about um, about leather and het leather and the history of leather, and you said you've taken some interest in that lately. Very uh, much. So let me start by what is your? I mean, 
I, I, I think perhaps most people would think of you as a kinkster and don't uh, walk around in the leather world too much. Would they have a misconception there? Uh, yeah, and I think that conception is changing. Um, I think there are some people that would consider me to be more leather than anything else. Um, but that's basically because that, that's where they see me. Uh, I actually, I, I got introduced to leather by a mutual friend of ours, uh, Rita Seagrave. Oh, sure. Nice. And it, was, it was a moment. It was at, um, I think it was Cope or maybe it was Kinky College or something like that. And she was my demo bottom for a particular class. And I had her hogtied on the floor. And I, I said, you know, are you comfortable or something like, are you enjoying yourself? And her response was, I'd enjoy myself more if your boots were two inches or if you were two inches closer. And so I was kind of puzzled by this, and I, I stepped two inches closer, and I was wearing my leather boots, which at that point were just leather boots. They were just right. my boots. And she stretched her neck out, and she started kissing the boots. And at that moment, I got this little, you know, that little twisty, fluttery thing in your tummy, and you're kind of like, oh, you, whoa, there's something to this. <laughs> and that was the moment that I really started to understand leather as a erotic and, and meaningful fetish. And the more I explored it, I mean, it's like anything. I mean, in the rope community, there are some real assholes and there is a lot of, you know, people who make shit up to make things seem more important than they really are. And there's some people that just accept things for what they are and that's enough. And I, I find the same thing in leather. You know, there's a whole lot of, you know, there's a whole, is there an old guard? Is there not an old guard? You know, is, uh, is, het leather a thing or is it should it be a thing or you know what's the history of leather and all those things you can sit there and argue for years about but the point to me is the idea of it being a um uh a set of principles um a set of a personal journey of improvement and care um it is a a support and a protection at times i mean uh there's a Lee Harrington gave a great homily on uh, leather that's uh, it's actually in the, one of the appendices of his book, um, Sacred Kink. And uh, it it's just talks about the fact that, you know, leather itself is just a piece of dead skin. You know, that's right. really all it is. But through the treatment of it and the care of it and the um, depending on what you attach to it, what meaning you give to it, it can be a lot more. And technically, that can be a good, uh, act, a good um, metaphor for everybody's life. You know, depending on how much care and how much you put into it and how much meaning you apply to it, you know, will depend on the quality of it. So uh, that's it, it's it's hard to say. All all of my leather has various meanings to me, um, whether it be gifted leather or something I gifted myself or earned quote unquote earned leather. Um, I got to. Uh, give my first I, I gave the gloves actually that I had to um, my student Poetic Desires when she won the Dirty Pig contest at the last Dark Odyssey um, nice. and that was an incredible moment for me to be able to, to do that and, and to feel that that kind of tradition and I think uh, you know in some ways is, is all the leather stuff a bunch of made up bullshit yes absolutely just like the U.S. government and any religion you care to name, it's all made up and it gets, it has exactly as much meaning as you choose to give to it. And uh, I know for at least for like me and poetic, that has incredible meaning. It's not just me handing her gloves. 
it's a symbol of respect and how far she's come since I started mentoring her and things like that. So it's a uh, rite of passage in a time when we don't have many of those. Exactly. So that only, uh, uh, I only wrote down about 205 questions through all that. Good. Um, Lay it on. I'll, so I'll try and shorten my answers. Let's let me start off with, uh, what is, haha, I'm going to start off with a bitch. What is leather? What are you talking about? The what is leather thing? Yeah, and 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 yeah, leather is a personal journey. Leather is uh, a, a a it's it's something different to everybody. Uh, there is a history and culture of leather. Um, a great deal of that that is given a lot of attention has to do with the um, gay leather community, but that is certainly not all of it. There is. Um, a lot of, of other uh, places and situations that it comes from. Uh, my favorite definition of leather comes from uh, someone who unfortunately is no longer with us named Mephisto. And he said it's about family and tradition and values and honor and rough sex and fucking someone over a bar stool and then throwing them on the ground and pissing on them. Cool. <laughs> I, I like that definition. Um, that was that uh, I I was uh, I got to see a, an entire like a board of um, a, a panel of leather old leather men um, talking about this kind of thing, including thing, people like the editor of Drummer Magazine and Jack Ranella was in it and things like that. Um, and that was J. Luke Jack was in it also. And that was one of the the definition that kept coming back to was you know it had to do with honor and values and tradition and respect. And um, a lot of, in a lot of ways, it's got this whole sort of knight-errant feel to it. Uh, it it's sort of a modern code of chivalry um, without the chauvinistic aspects of it. Um, but at the same time, it is about rough sex. You know, um, I, I recently watched, uh, rewatched the uh, A Few Dollars More. It's an old spaghetti western with uh, Lee Van Cleef and Clint Eastwood. Sure, sure two of them first meet each other in the movie there's this whole sizing up thing where they're kind of like walking around each other looking at each other's guns and stuff like it is totally cruising it is entirely <laughs> <laughs> I, I i had a discussion with sarah sloan at the uh last tryst about you know well okay we're having a bar we're or a leather bar night we want to encourage true cruising what is cruising really and she tried to give me this description it's hard to describe it's, it's something you do but you don't necessarily describe it. it's hard to describe now i'm just going to get that clip and show it to people <laughs> it's totally what cruising is um and it was really uh really hot stuff i i got to learn um i, I sort of came into the leather scene via cigars um which rita seagrave also tutored me on how to do cigars um at first and uh i as I got more involved in learning about cigar play from uh, a lot of great teachers in the gay leather scene and um, other places, I also got more involved in leather. And, you know, now I, there, there's a point when you either do or you don't consider yourself leather. And sure. I do consider myself leather. And I don't look at that as a, I'm leather and you're not, and therefore I'm better. I look at it as a, I'm leather. And that means I have a certain set of principles that I need to live up to in order for me to feel good about myself. And happily, those are things that actually are good things. You know, I, I, I have a, a thing. And, and some people might look at it as being uh, a put-on situation, which is fine. You know, my uh, United States Marine Corps was also a put-on thing. 
but guess what? <laughs> it it still means something. Okay, let me let me let me bring it really? to this particular point for a moment. You had mentioned uh, a from a, one of the aspects being tradition, and one of the aspects of that tradition would therefore, I, I guess, would be gay leather. That is an aspect of it. Yes. Okay. So if we start from there, how important is that tradition? And that's going to lead me to: Does Gray Dancer have the right to present leather? Well, I would have to first uh, challenge your idea, starting it from there. Okay. Because the first Gay Leather Motorcycle Club was started in uh, 1959. Um, it was in Hollywood, uh, California, and it was nine uh, gay men who had a wonderful sex-filled, drug-filled, drink-filled party at night and decided the next morning to start up the Satyrs Motorcycle Club. Right, right. The, uh, the first motorcycle club. They did not invent the first motorcycle club. They modeled that after the motorcycle clubs that had been in existence, well, could be argued since 1904 when the American Motorcycle Association started, but certainly since 1939 when the schism between the motorcycle clubs, the one percenters, and the American Motorcycle Association. The fact is, those clubs were not gay. They were heterosexual. Uh, I'm sure there were gay members of it, but that was not the focus. In fact, one of the big parts of those clubs was that uh, back in the American Motorcycle Association days, they had women voters in their club before women could even vote in the United States. Um, the other big icon that's held up is the Marlon Brando. You know the famous Marlon Brando picture from the Wild One. Oh, sure, yeah, sure. And then they always show him there. And and the funny thing is, is if you look at a picture of um, Chuck Renslow from uh, 1959, yes, he, he looks almost exactly the same as Marlon Brando. <laughs> the other thing is, is that if you look at the other publicity stills from that particular um, uh, movie. Almost all of the other ones that you see, aside from that iconic one where he's by himself, are him with his girlfriend. Sure. My question is, do you think that Marlon Brando was modeling himself after Chuck Renslow, or do you think that Chuck Renslow was modeling himself after Marlon Brando? Now, it has also been argued by Daddy Wendell from Seattle, uh, Mr. Leather Daddy 20, 2010, yeah, I think. Yeah. We, know, we know him. Yep, yep. Yep. He said that you should watch The Wild Ones with the idea that uh, Lee Marvin and Marlon Brando were ex-lovers and that it makes a whole lot more sense then. <laughs> and they, um, I plan on doing it, and I, I believe he may have a point, but I also have to hold to the fact that at best you could, only, you could say – um, actually, uh, Noel Moniker pointed this out. It's not so much that it's het re or trying to – uh, claim leather or make leather. It's more that het leather never stopped. I mean, there have been motorcycle clubs and, you know, heterosexual people in leather this whole time. They just haven't been in as close proximity with the gay leather and queer leather community. Now they're coming back into the proximity of them. So, you know, it may be a reclaiming of it. It may be a rejoining of two paths that have separated. Um, and there is certainly a huge amount of culture and history and, and things that have gone on in the um, gay leather and the, just the mere – the 80s themselves could have volumes of, of what it was like to lose a generation of people. It, it, one of the biggest tragedies of history. Um, but I don't think that it needs to be – if you ask me do I have the right, absolutely I have the right. Um, do I have the right to – appropriate um, gay leather culture. 
I if you if you uh, want to call it appropriating, you can. Um, everybody appropriates everything, really. You know, uh, I I've, I have as much right to appropriate that look as Chuck Winslow had to appropriate the look of Marlon Brando. You know, um, I very well said. That was, that was well said. <laughs> because I like it, it makes me feel good. It uh, I, I it feeds my inner image of myself. And uh, I think he absolutely had the right to do that. I'm glad he did because, frankly, I spend more time modeling myself after the gay leather men that I know than, say, uh, Sons of Anarchy or something like that, which sure. would be another good example of a heterosexual leather organization. Um, so that's my answer. That, and was a, that was a good answer. I like the, the tie-in back to uh, Miss Renslow. Uh, running the copy off of uh, Brando, and the funny <laughs> thing about that, by this way, is I, yeah. I, I only I know uh, I don't know Chuck Renslow. I I met him a few years ago, and talk about a guy that does not look like Marlon Brando. I, I don't know where that <laughs> came from. So, so something happened in the remaining forty years or so, fifty years. Oh no, wonder no, no, nobody looks like that anymore. Okay. Yeah, I mean, really, if you want to look Marlon Brando and Chuck Renslow, Chuck Renslow is way hotter. <laughs> way true, hotter. True. True. So, do you not then? I mean, when we think about the, the leather culture, and this is just an interesting conversation. I I don't personally. Um, well, you, I, I don't. Have, I get. I'm the interviewer, so you don't have to. <laughs> so I don't have to reveal my secrets. But you know, when we think of the the current leather culture within the kink culture, which probably uh, started somewhere along the lines of Baldwin's. Uh, ties that bind. I mean, that's when it started to come together as, oh, wait, we've got an entire culture that we can share with each other. And absolutely, rough sex, that's what that was about. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that many people in, in the leather tradition that was created from that would argue that, for example, presenting leather is something that's being diluted by it being too common and too easy now. And, and that would be probably the uh, the really? view of the people that I. Uh, you have some particular people, I will say. Yeah, it's 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 the hipster versus the geeks. Um, the hipsters are. I I was into this before it was all cool, and now that you're into it, it's not cool anymore. <laughs> it's just the geeks who are saying, "Oh my God, this is so cool! Have you seen this? Oh, you like this too? That's awesome! Hey, how about you try this? And hey, can I give you this thing?" Um, yeah, I mean, in any subculture, there's going to be that those kinds of people. Um, I actually have had a real hard time with some of the, I, I'll preface this by saying I have huge respect for Guy Baldwin, um, and I'm about to talk to Hardy Haberman. I actually think of Hardy Haberman as something of a friend. He and I shared enough time at events that I feel like I, I know him as a friend. But Good. they've given a couple of uh, speeches between the two of them that uh, basically makes me feel like they are trying to uh, make leather into an exclusionary elitist um, place for the privileged class. And I'm going to throw that privileged word out there as much as I dislike it, um, simply to say that you know, if your insistence is that you be able to use your real name and that you have to have actual leathers and actually meet people face to face, then um, you are insisting that you be wealthy enough to have the discretionary income and discretionary time and not fear the uh, retribution of your boss, you know, things like that. Um, 
which is fine if you want to do that. If you want to have a leather club where you have to have all those things together, that's fine. You can do that. Um, but I am afraid that that's going to also have a bunch of people that don't have that. I, I know of, I can't remember who wrote the article. I need to look it up. But there is a leather community where um, they were running into a problem where the young gay men wanted to be leather, but they couldn't afford. I mean, you know, in this economy, just because you're a young white male does not mean necessarily you're going to have a good paying job. So what they did was the older leathermen got together and they made um, – they bought the basically all the materials that you would need just to make kind of the gladiator-style harness. Mm-hmm. Evening, they all made harnesses. So everybody had leather, you know, and they – may wear it with jeans and sneakers, whatever else, but everybody had that one piece of leather. And it was a great, from, from what the report said, it was a great community building situation. And I know another person, uh, Olivier, uh, who's, uh, you, you may know Olivier, he's uh, Midwest, I, I know him from Wichita area, um, very big into puppy play and things like that. And he wrote a, a Facebook post just today saying, you know, kind of giving a warning, saying, look, leather folk, you know, if, if we're going to be this kind of, if we're going to ignore the diversity and stuff like that, uh, we're going to have problems. Uh, he mentioned Stonewall, you know, which I think people have this image of Stonewall as being a whole bunch of leather men fighting against the cops. Right. And in, in reality, it was a whole bunch of drag queens. Um, who were kind of flanked by the trans folk um, fighting against the cops. And mm-hmm. folk kind of came in later. And one thing that I find interesting that never gets mentioned, but if you look up the uh, non-queer-based reports on this, do you know who received the worst injuries at Stonewall? No. A heterosexual folk singer who happened to be strolling past the bar mm-hmm. and was dragged in by the cops and beaten the shit out of. Hmm. And they sex with them. So, um, but it's interesting to me that, you know, the person who received the worst injuries is never talked about, even though he could be considered at the very best an ally. I mean, if you're a folk singer and you're hanging out in that neighborhood, it's assumed that you're an ally, but that, that, that gets, gets shut out. And I don't have a problem with the idea of historic history of leather culture and stuff like that. I just have a problem when it's sort of a willful ignorance kind of thing, you know, a, as if it was invented, you know, uh, in that uh, 1959, right. uh, you know, as opposed to carried over. I totally, you know, I, I, I agree. There's also a lot of, you know, people talk about the GIs coming back from World War II. A lot of the influences of the GI that influenced the GIs was the stuff from Weimar, um, Germany, you know, the pre-World War II stuff that was going on. That's a huge uh, amount of leather fetish in there um, that doesn't get talked about. And uh, I, since I've, I have been asked on occasion to talk about leather history and culture, and so I do the research. You know, I, I, I don't just go by what I hear. I actually do, um, you know, scholarly research and look for primary sources and things like that. And um, when you do that, it's it's not that there's uh, it's not that there's um, false history being told. It's just that there is a very particular version of history being told, and I would prefer telling the entire story. Or at least, at least more of it than is being told. And I, I think, Dan and Don, you, you may want to preface this interview with saying, the views expressed in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, that, well, that's okay, though. I've got, and I've got two things to pop in with. 
One is you were saying that um, it was stated that anybody in the, the real leather life should be using their real names. And I know for a fact that there's elders out there that do not use their real names. They use names that look like real names, yeah, but they're not. And I, some of them are authors. Yep. So, you know, so they're not, they're not following that, that same thing. So that, that's just a throw out there. But the other thing is that you were talking about the leather in Germany, you know, and how we're taught that the leather really started with the motorcycle clubs, like you said. But I've always wondered, where did all of that stuff in, in like, Europe? I mean, there's all kinds of nasty, rough sex <laughs> going on <laughs> over there and, you know, a leather culture sort of thing and kink. And you never hear about that and how that ties into what we currently live. Right. And that's why the whole idea of culture appropriation, um, I mean, I recently heard a, a, a leather instructor say that, the, that her concern with the heterosexual leather movement was that the, um, the, the queer leather history um, would get uh, forgotten and that the uh, queer leather traditions would get appropriated. And I sat there in the audience and I'm thinking kind of like we're ignoring, you know, ignoring the hist actual history of leather and things like that. It, it just seemed very, it, it seems strange to have someone saying, I'm scared that, you know, the het leather movement is going to do exactly what has already happened, you know, um, and and I feel like there there's room for more. I don't I don't think it takes anything away. Right. In fact, it enriches the history to um, go back further. You know, don't just start with the GIs. You know, don't don't just start even with the the motorcycle club. I mean, talk about talk about the history of the rebel. You know, in in American culture and the uh, the response against the uh, cultural mores of the fifties. And, and, you know, that whole aspect of thing. I mean, hey, you want an example of, of leather where most people will get it? Fonz. <laughs> Very true. Is the, probably the most recognizable one. And what was Fonzie's girlfriend's name? Do you remember? Uh, he had some oh, it was the rock singer. Leather Tuscadero. Leather Tuscadero. I mean, come on, you know. Uh, let's, let's, let's give credit where credit is due here. Nice. Leather Tuscadero. It is, it is <laughs> kind of humorous to think that people would be resisting the idea of sharing leather when, what the, as you mentioned, the, its principles, its improvement, its support and protection. Um, yeah, well, I, I understand it. I mean, there's certainly yeah, the treatment of, of uh, queers and, and gay men and, you know, both from culture and from, you know, Mother Nature – has been pretty fucking awful over the past forever. So I I can understand it. Um, I can understand the defensiveness and the and the desire to circle the wagons and say, you know, you're trying to take something that's mine. Um, I just think that that's a zero sum mentality. I, I think that it's a case where more is better as opposed to more takes things away. I think that having more people involved in it enriches the culture as opposed to um, making it less. And, and, it, and I think it's important that we, we do. I mean, sorry, I, I, I went, what, have you heard of the whole MDHL movement? The what movement? Male Dom Het Leather. Yeah. I, that was next. That's on my list, brother. 
Okay, well, what's your question? First of all, I guess I, I should let you do oh, that. Uh, no, well, really, that for when, when we talk about that, I know I have a particular feeling about that, and I'll be happy to share it, but what do you feel about that? Well, here's the thing. My, my feeling has evolved over time. Um, I When I first heard about it, it was met with much eye-rolling and um, the impression of a bunch of... Uh, uh, burly middle-aged white guys stomping their feet and saying, this is the way it should be. Women are submissive. We are prime dominant. Arr, arr, you know, that kind of thing. Like gore. Oh, yeah, sorry. Exactly. <laughs> kind of what I, what I, that's the impression I got. Um, and I was invited to teach. Um, and I, and I was invited to teach cigar play with no demo bottom and no ability to light cigars. <laughs> but said, if I can teach that, I can teach anything. So hell yes, I'll do that. There you go. To bold, and I um, I apologized profusely at the end of it because they are nothing like that. What they are is they are a bunch of people who say, "Hey, this is what we like. If you like it too, that's great. If you don't, that's great too. This is what we like, and we're getting together to talk about it." Um, it was by no means a "this is the one true way." It was a "this is the way we like to do it." At their dinner, they presented their um, community service award. To a um, a how am I going to phrase this correctly? A female master and her two submissive husbands. Hmm. Um, and that and it seems to me that if you're going to you know if you want to have proof of that of the fact that they were not this you know thing. Now they get a lot of flack for a lot of reasons, and I'm not going to sit there and defend every little thing that they did. But I will say that my first impression of them uh, before I actually went to the event and hung out with them. Was that it was um, going to be this this whole um, I don't know what you call it a lot of pomp and circumstance kind of thing and instead what I found was a bunch of people sharing their passion and their relationships and trying to improve it and definitely embodying everything that I have seen anyone talk about in terms of the uh, principles of leather so you know i'm i'm very happy i just recently was asked to come back and teach again this year and i'm very happy to go back to it and it could be argued that you know well gray you're you mainly present as a het male dom which you know ignores the fact that i'm actually selectively bisexual and something of a switch but if you want to go ahead and go with the uh, external appearances i'll let you go ahead with that and maybe that is why i'm predisposed to like them but i i was surprised i, so, I will say just for myself i will continue to attempt to keep an open mind because you're right it does it feels like one way to perceive the story is we have a, a, a thriving a gay leather community that's holding their events and they say finally let's look we need to be a little more open and slowly we're letting more head people join and more head people are involved in the leather community and the heads go oh hey thanks for showing us this stuff now get out all you gays we want our own head thing what the male dom head leather group yeah yeah Oh, well, I, I, and I know some of these cats, right? I, I actually hang out with at least a couple people and I've been trying to get somebody to come out to PXS to, I think to that would, teach about it. Again, it's all if, perception, right? It's that limited take over it's, something. You know, if they had gone to say, um, you know, Inferno and start trying, but I don't know of any of them. I, I know that I, I know a lot of het males who will go to events like Inferno or smoke in Vegas or things like that. Right, right. And they don't bring along their female submissives. They just go and they enjoy the company of fellow males in leather. Um, and I don't think that anyone would tell anyone who was queer they couldn't come. I think the fact, the, the argument against what you're saying 
is that they didn't say, hey, get out of here. They said, hey, you know what? This is cool. We know you guys are not into the whole vagina thing. So we have our own event over here. If you want to come, but if you don't want to come, we'll understand. It, it's not an exclusion. And you know, if you can have the Michigan Women's Festival, you can have a male dom head leather. I don't see how they're threatening anybody. No, and I agree. And I think it's a, it's a challenge that you don't get stuck in your own preconceptions. I, I, I was right with you, man. I, I would believe me. I uh, I spent many an afternoon before I went to the event snickering and uh, making all kinds of ridiculous comments that I feel bad about now because the reality was it was a good bunch of people. Good, good. No, I'm glad to hear that. Um, You're elitist at all. It was just a hey, we like this. How do you? What you know? We like this, and we're celebrating it. Sure. And you know, like you said, there's there's plenty of groups out there that. Um, you know, if there's an all-male AA meeting, I don't necessarily point my finger at that and say, what, do you hate women? You know, yeah. it's, no, we want to be surround ourselves with like people. And, and, and the same thing with the, the TITF, I know. The kid group? What's the young people group? Yeah, yeah, them guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I, um, I also think that one of the difficulties that the, the leather scene is running into is that there's this whole grousing about how, oh my God, you know, we're losing our traditions and losing our culture. And they're not losing it because necessarily of the head crowd. They're losing it because of the internet. You oh, know, yeah. people don't go to bars as much as they do before. I mean, the, the gay leather bars are not able to support themselves. Um, and so it's harder to, you tend to have more like gay leather nights and things like that. And, you know, the, the police are a little more strict about sex in the back rooms mm -hmm. and, and not to say it doesn't happen anywhere, but uh, there's this impression that um, it used to happen everywhere, and now it doesn't happen hardly anywhere, and it's and it's the fault of this, like you said, the dilution of the um, of the leather scene. And I I don't think I don't buy that. I think that there's a lot of different factors. I think that the head leather scene makes a convenient scapegoat. You know, it, sure. it's a way to argue and say, you know, well, it's all your fault because, you know, it used to be just us and now it's all you guys. Um, uh, that's one of the places that I actually sort of, I have to respectfully disagree with Guy Baldwin is uh, he talks about teaching at the Society of Janus. Mm -hmm. Basically in his talk says, you know, I basically taught them everything they know about kink and now I'm done teaching and I'm taking my knowledge and going home and taking care of our cubs. Um, that's a paraphrase of the speech, but basically it's the idea that, you know, he taught everything about kink and, and I'm sorry, I'm sure that he taught a lot about kink. I mean, he knows more about kink and his little finger than I will ever know. But that being said, I think it'd be rather disingenuous to say that he invented kink. Um, I, I, there were probably other influences besides him. Um, and so I, I, I think that there's, of, um, yeah, it makes sense. A level of things going on there that kind of go, well, I don't know. I, I, like, I really like Race Bannon's um, input on this stuff. I think his, his writing on leather and stuff like that is, is more insightful and is more open-minded, while at the same time maintaining that guarded mentality of we do need to preserve the gay leather culture and things like that. I, I really have immense respect for him. I would love to be in a room and just listen to him talk for a while. Uh, yeah. So, so just to you know, earlier you'd mentioned that the disclaimer these these are Gray's views and so that 
Um, the funny thing is, when it comes down to it, is, you know, if someone asks you, do you have the right to present leather? The person that's got to answer that is you, you know. When I was in a, uh, when I was in the year of holding a title, the person that gave, that was ownership of that title, they got to tell me whether I could present leather or not. I'm not in that year anymore. So now it becomes something that, it's a personal question. It's what's best for you and your community and the people and will the people that receive leather understand what it is that they're doing? Um, Absolutely. I, I basically looked at it as, um, you know, when, when I, have, I, I have a class, Leather History and Culture, um, that I teach. And I started out by saying, you know, the, the things I'm going to tell you right now, I have my references. I can give you my um, annotations and the places I got it from. And a large portion of it is based on my own personal opinion and my own personal research. So feel free to disagree because... You know, what's the old argument? If you uh, if you get six leather men in one room, you know what happens? Sex? No, a competition. <laughs> a competition. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, the fact is, you know, everybody has their own opinion of what is that guy. One of the interesting things and the frustrating things has been I've watched these panels and I have seen that on, on at least two of them that had immensely respectable people in them give completely different versions within the same panel <laughs> of, uh, say, leather history or what is leather or what is leather culture. And, and it's, it's interesting to me, you know, when the complaint is, well, you just don't get leather. Well, the reason why is because it's being explained in ways that make it very difficult for people to get. Um, uh, I have had uh, people from um, the quote-unquote classic days of leather, um, mm -hmm. the 80s and all that, listen to my classes and come up to me. One man was actually in tears and he said, yes, you know, this is, this is what it was. Uh, his, his answer to whether or not there was an old guard was, yes, there was. They were the ones who died. <laughs> and uh, and I, I found that immensely touching and immensely... Uh, um, humbling, you know. Yeah. It it's it's part of why. I mean, the first time I gave the class, it was sort of an experiment. I don't know if this is a good idea or not. But to have this man who lived through the uh, you know that that gay holocaust, um, who got to have experienced having uh, all, eight out of ten people that he knew die, um, that you know have him come up and tell me, yes, this is what what I needed to hear. That sort of ma makes me go, well, okay, I guess I'm, I'm at least, you know, I need to, to hold true to this, regardless of the fact that I sort of am waiting for the, you know, uh, gay leather mafia to put out a hit on me or something. <laughs> Which could be kind of hot, actually, depending on how they do that. Uh, all right. One more question for you, if you don't mind. Okay. I'm a kink star. I'm a kink guy. I'm listening to this. I'm thinking maybe there's more to it. Maybe I need to find out more about this leather stuff and how I can apply it to my life. What's the what's the steps you would recommend? Wow. Um, uh, well, I would say uh, you should come to the next Grind Ass event in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, where I'll be teaching leather history and culture. No. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an easy one. Okay. Just kind of squeeze that in there. Um, honestly, I would say just – Go places and listen. Um, 
and talk and hang out with people. One thing I, I totally agree with is that you get the mo you you cannot get the feeling of leather from reading about it. You can get a lot out of reading about it. It's fascinating stuff to read about, and you can definitely get an idea of what questions to ask and things like that. And you can also learn to spot it when people are making shit up, um, or pulling it out of their asses or things like that. But at the same time, it's it's not about the reading and the history and stuff like that. It's about that feeling and. I would say you know you need to find places like um, at Trist, Sarah Sloan and uh, Scotty ran a leather night. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, go to places like that. Um, talk to people like Sarah Sloan. You can also, and, and I apologize for this being somewhat of a plug, but it's for a part of the site that's absolutely free, so you don't have to buy anything. But um, on Kink Academy, they have we have uh, I think twenty three interviews with former Imsels. International Miss Leather, um, as well as the documentary that we produced, The Sisterhood of the Sash, which is about the 25 years of IMSL. Um, and uh, we have, and those are all absolutely free. We did that as a kind of a, a contribution to the leather community, basically, uh, a ca a capturing history. So you can learn a whole lot from that. Um, you know, it's interesting to read books like you know the the Leatherman's Handbook and things like that, um, or Leather Protocol. I have that over here on my shelf somewhere. I can't remember the exact name of the book, but just remember that for every person who says this is the way it was, there's other people who will say this is not the way it was, and there's other people who say this is the way it wasn't. And I think the most important thing is that leather is a personal journey. Um, you can have people tell you that you're leather and not feel it. And you can feel like you're leather and have people tell you you're not. And of those two, the second one is going to be the most authentic. Um, so it, it, it's, a, it's a personal journey for everybody. And so you can't – I personally feel that you can't, uh, um, you can't say here's the steps to go to make it into that. Fair enough. How do it, I find out where you're presenting and how to listen to the Granddaddy podcast, the Ropecast? Good question. Greatanswer.com is the uh, my main website, which includes uh, things like excerpts from my new book, Kumir, which is going to be coming out in novelized form. Um, also, I have lots of grooves going on. If you go to FetLife and just do keyword grew and look at the events, I think there's like four or five right now planned out over the next year. Um, and then I also present at events like Dark Odyssey Surrender, uh, 13, not 12. Um, and... Uh, I will be, I'm hoping to actually come out your way. I can't uh, make it to the poly one, but I'm hoping that this might be the year that I come out to Power Exchange. Are you well, still having Memorial Day weekend? We, we moved it off of Shibari Khan weekend so that you can make it. Well, I was going to make it even if it was on that weekend. <laughs> but anyway, I, I hope anyway. Now you might have scheduled something else. Oh, no. <laughs> it makes life so difficult. Um, but yeah, it, it, I'm I'm the easy I'm great answer pretty much everywhere online Twitter Facebook it, I'm the easiest person in the world to stalk so um, and I would love to hear contrary opinions and stuff like that about what I from your listeners if they have uh, uh, want to tell me how wrong I am about this whole leather thing because that's always fun that's how that's how good dialogue is is done <laughs> good deal great answer been a pleasure to talk to you tonight thank you very much. Thank you both very much. Love you guys.
Erotic Awakening listeners. This is erotic author Rico Lamaru, and I'd like to warmly invite you to visit my website, eroticsubstance.com. For the remainder of this holiday season, all of my ebook novellas are 50% off through my Cafe Lamaru project, as well as an opportunity to pre order a signed copy of my print book, The Maiden of Monaco, a powerfully dramatic story of perseverance laced with intimate sensuality. Includes a free bookmark and free shipping. To learn more, just click on the Cafe Lamaru link that you'll find on the homepage of my website. Once again, that's eroticsubstance.com. Happy holidays!